Thank you, Lewis. As we kick off our uh, growth groups this season, our groups that meet in homes, we are uh, taking a couple of weeks off from our series in Romans for two messages about the body of Christ, because that's what our growth groups are about, and that's what our church should be about. Whether or not you're a part of one of the growth groups, and I hope you are, but our church is the body of Christ. Uh, We are a part of the universal body of Christ. And I've mentioned to you many times that God has given us three resources for spiritual growth. This should be review by now. The three resources for spiritual growth are the Word of God over us, the Spirit of God within us, and the body of Christ around us. And two of those three are infallible and perfect. But the third one is not. The body of Christ uh, needs constant care because we are sinful and uh, you, uh, we, we are a work in progress. Um, but you can't ignore the local church. You just can't ignore that simply because it's not perfect. Okay? Jesus himself is in love with the church. It is his bride. And we are to love what Jesus loves. You don't, you, you don't say, well, I don't need those relationships. I'm a part of the universal body of Christ. And if I want to, I can go to church on television or go for a hike in the woods. Babylon Bee just did a satire this past Thursday. If you are familiar with that satire website, and it gave the story about a man who w- refused to join, join a local gym. Instead, he was, he was a member of the Invisible Universal Gym. And that was enough to get him in shape. Quote, yeah, I'm not really into the whole organized fitness thing, he told reporters, saying that he'd been burned a few times in some local gyms that didn't cater to his whims. I'm into fitness, but I'm not religious about it, he said. He launched into a long explanation about the hypocrisy, the hypocrisy of other people he sees at the gym who are working out but aren't perfectly fit. That really turned me off to the whole institutional exercise thing. It's just not for me. And he stated that he simply exercises on his own time whenever he feels like it with no disciplined routine or partners to keep him accountable. Quote, nature is my gym. At publishing time, sources had to be able, have been able to confirm that he hasn't exercised in 14 years. Maybe silly, but you know, the analogy is not far off. Because Paul says, exercise yourselves for godliness. And that's the Greek word from which we get the word gymnasium. Discipline yourselves, exercise yourselves for godliness. Where do we get the idea that we don't need each other as a part of our own spiritual growth, when Jesus says we do. Today we're finishing this two-week uh, exploration of Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. And I'll, just to re- remind you where we're headed, we're headed to verse 16, which says, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That's where we're headed. That's the goal. And uh, if, if you are a part of this church or have been a part of this church for any length of time, you know 
that Ephesians 4 is a passage that we return to from time to time. It is the clearest description of the church in the New Testament. So you want to know what the local church is supposed to look like? You go to Ephesians 4. This is the passage. And today we're finishing this. Last time we, we, uh, we covered the big picture uh, of Ephesians. I described to you in chapters 1 to 3 that those chapters focus on doctrine. Chapters 4 to 6 focus on application. And the benediction that divides the two sections is in chapter 3, verse 20. Take a look. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Ordinarily, if you heard that, you would think, well, that's at the end of a book. And it's not it's right in the middle. It's what divides the two sections of this book in half. So chapters 1 to 3 are doctrinal and describe what is unseen by us, what God has done in saving us. Chapters 4 to 6 describe behavior that is seen by everybody. Paul says, in essence, if all this is true, what God has done for you, then it has to affect how you're going to live before a watching world. So chapters 4 to 6 focus on how you're going to live in your church, chapter 4, in your family, chapter 5, and in your workplace or school, chapter 6. And there's a whole lot more to it than that as well. Chapter 4 focuses on the church, though. And I, when I was asked years ago about starting this church, this is the passage that we looked at, and I asked the question, do you agree with this? And then on the basis of that, we moved forward. For us today, here's the point. Jesus loves the church, even though Signal Mountain Bible Church is very imperfect. And the reason why it's very imperfect, I'm going to tell you a secret. The reason why it's very imperfect is because I'm here. Now you know. We all are works in progress. You could say that every time someone in this church disappoints you, it almost should reinforce your theology. But we are God's trophy case on display so that the world can see what redemption, forgiveness, change, rescue look like. Now, last week we began with verse 1, and I put an outline in your notes. I'm not actually going to be following that outline, but it'll be something for you to refer to to see the structure of this passage. But we began, we began last week in verse 1 with what to do. Walk worthy of your calling. And the word, uh, we said that the word worthy is used of a balance beam. And on the, uh, on the one side of the balance scale is your calling, the grace of God in salvation. This has been described in chapters 1 through 3. And the second, the other side of the balance beam are your daily decisions on how you're going to live in the areas of church, family, work, school, all of those areas. And they, what he's saying is they should be equivalent. They should balance out. This shouldn't be something that is disconnected. It should be organic. Your calling, the way that you live out your life should be reflective of your calling so verses two and three tell us how and we studied last week the four qualities of a worthy walk humility gentleness patience and forbearance and we choose how we're going to respond to each other even even if we don't like each other we've got to love each other god has removed my free will about that he has told me you are to love each other 
period. That's not natural, Gary. It's not natural. That's right. It's what? Supernatural. It's God's work in us. The foundation for that unity is the oneness that God provides. We looked at the seven ones in verses 4 through 6. And I told you before that these verses have no declarative sentences. There's no connectives. There's no verbs. It doesn't begin, let us be, or let there be, or there is. We add that stuff. That's not in the Greek. It simply, loudly, abruptly lays down these facts. There is one body, well, excuse me, one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. He is transcendent over us. He is imminent through us. He's intimate within us. It's amazing. And so far, all we've done is review verses 1 through 6, focusing on our unity in Christ. But verse 7, we pick up at that, this point. In spite of our unity, there is diversity. But to each one of us, Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So up to this point, verses 1 through 6, the passage has emphasized what we share, all Christians in common. But here, the wording changes from all, 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 verse 6, to each. From oneness to different contributions to that oneness. And the point is, our diversity, our differences, are gifts from God that He intends for us to use to increase our oneness. Verse 8, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led hope that he led captive, a host of captives. He gives gifts to men. And he describes what those terms mean in verses 9 and 10. And these verses quote Psalm 68, which picture the Messiah like a king returning home from a victorious campaign, distributing the spoils of war to his faithful followers. And there's much that we could talk about in these verses but a couple of things are, are very, you know, and I mentioned last week we could spend many, many weeks in this, this passage. But a couple of things are very clear. Jesus came down from heaven in the incarnation. He returned to heaven in the ascension. And we think about Jesus' incarnation at Christmas especially. But when we think about his return to heaven, we tend to think of the ascension as leaving earth. We don't think much of what Jesus' return was like in heaven. What was that like? No passage gives us information on that. I don't know if we can handle the glory of that. But one day we'll be told about it. But what we do know is this. He ascended victorious, having fulfilled and filled up all the prophecies. He ascended as the head of the church, his body, the bridegroom of the bride, and he showers us now with presence gifts spiritual gifts that's the picture here and the purpose of the different spiritual gifts is to contribute to our oneness so we have different personalities we have different giftedness and when i search for illustrations of what uh, of of uh, this difference of the differences between us you know where i found the very best illustration in scripture listen to first corinthians 12 For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks or slaves or free. Those are all social differences. Okay, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free. Social, socioeconomic, 
and probably racial differences. Whether or not those differences are true, we were all made to drink of one spirit, for the body is not one member but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it's not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it's not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? And you get the point. So he concludes by saying, but now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. That's God's illustration. And this is important. The emphasis from our differences, of the emphasis of Scripture is never Let's go find out my spiritual gift. I do want to know what my spiritual gifts are. But the emphasis is instead, let's go find my place of service. What does God want me to do? And how am I going to serve with the right attitude? And if you begin serving, you'll find your gift. We have opportunities right here for service. I looked at the bulletin. Five were mentioned. Teaching children's church, working in the nursery, visiting those who need help. How do you find your place of service? Look at the needs. Look at the needs. Look at what's around you. And Scripture also gives us places to begin. In James 1.27, help with the widows and the orphans. That's people who are vulnerable, who are lonely, who may need someone to come alongside and bring comfort or help. There are people like that in our church. By the way, did you know that our church also is engaged in a ministry of this to Alexian Village? To go over there and uh, at least one month each year visit and hold worship services there? Did you know that? Would you like to get involved in that? See Jason Huffine. See, we've already made a connection here, haven't we? But we've, there are things that, there, that are in front of us where we can help people. Romans 12, verses 13, verse 13 says, contribute to the needs of the saints. We have missionaries who have needs. Are we supporting them? We have others who have occasional needs from time to time, people who are out of work. We come alongside them. We make sure that they're okay, make sure that they have, have, have house payments. Um, there may be someone in your orbit that's in a a, a widows and orphans category, someone who's vulnerable. Practicing hospitality, there's another one in that same verse. Practice hospitality towards one another. When's the last time you had someone into your home or invited a visitor to the church? Home. Someone who may not know anybody. Someone who's just moved to the community and they're lonely. Getting to know one another. Getting, hearing our stories, our mutual struggles, sharing them, praying for one another. These commands are not rocket science. They're... They are not hard dots to connect. They don't require a test for how to find your spiritual gift, which I'm suspicious of anyway. There are ministries that are right in front of you, right in front of us. But Gary, no one has asked me to do that. Excuse me. <laughs> no one has emailed me. No one has called me. Well, look... <laughs> Let's just look what's in front of us. Just, just look what's in front of us. And, and roll up our sleeves. See what needs to be done. And, and I've got to tell you, I love, I love what I see. Although now that I've taken my glasses off, I don't see much. 
But I, I just, I love what I see. I love the things where I hear about things that you've done. Not a part of any program, you've just done them. I hear, of, well, yesterday we had this amazing event out here. Betsy and I were talking about it uh, with, with our local missions and all the things that were involved in that. And, and uh, Betsy and I were talking about, we just showed up. We, we didn't have anything to do with putting that on. You did. And several of you worked long and hard hours to make that be so cool and so edifying to the body and so encouraging to the missionaries who are there. So I love when I hear about that. But there are those who are not involved in ministries. So... What's in front of you? What is God calling you to? Maybe that's what he's calling you to. Look around. See what's available. Now here, um, in this passage, this passage has a very specific goal in mind. And four unique giftednesses, if I can use that term, are given to the church and that are mentioned in verse 11. The four unique gifts the first two were foundational for the church, apostles and prophets, Ephesians 2.20, says these were foundational. And, and, but all four, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors, teachers, and that last phrase, pastors and teachers, is really one concept, best translated by a hyphenated pastor-teacher. This is Lewis's role. This is Gary's role. We are both to pastor or shepherd, but we are also to teach. And for what purpose? Well, here's where things start getting radical. All four of those gifts revolve around communicating God's revelation. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And verse 12 tells us what this should look like. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service. To the building up of the body of Christ. And I'm going to make an observation about the grammar so that you'll know what uh, he's talking about. So uh, li listen up. This is one of those, one of those things that you, I, you, I could lose the ball in the weeds here. These clauses are not coordinate, but successive. And here's what that means. A if they were coordinate, what that would, me that would mean is that the pastor teacher is the one who equips, who does the work of service, and who builds up the body of Christ. He's the guy. That's what you hire him for, right? That's not the biblical picture here. And that's not what the meaning is is listen to what this is saying the pastor teacher equips the saints to do the work of ministry to the building up of the body of christ who are the saints that's the new testament term for someone who has been saved who is a believer in jesus christ the new testament term that describes any member of the body of christ saved by god's grace we are standing is we are saints. doesn't mean that we are saintly <laughs> in the way that most people see, understand that term. It refers to our position as saved. So our role is to equip with the Word of God the saints, and we equip ourselves as well, to do the work of the ministry to the building up of the body of Christ. The body generates its own growth. It's an astonishing truth, and it's very different from what most people understand the church to be. 
It's a place I come. It's a place where I listen to something and I'm nice to people around me and I hopefully, you know, I'm, I may get inspired by a thought and go home and then live my life. No, no. It's a place where you're equipped in the ongoing process of hearing the word of God over you and having the spirit of God within you apply his truth so that together with accountability and love with the body of Christ around you, you live out the truth and the body generates its own growth, builds itself up. How? In love. I love the word equip for the equipping of the saints. It's the same word that's used in Matthew 421 where Jesus called two of the disciples to him, and they were fishermen. You know what they were doing? They were mending their nets. Same Greek word, mending. And the idea is the net was not in its current state able to fulfill the purpose for which it was made. It needed to be mended. The same word is used of of Galen in the second century, the doctor who, who described... Uh, setting a broken leg. The leg in its current state is unable to perform the function for which it exists, and that is to walk and run. So it is mended. Okay, so we, in our broken state, are unable to fulfill the purpose for which God created us to be his image bearers. So we have the word of God over us being taught God's truth as a part of your ongoing intake of God's truth, not just here on Sunday morning, but throughout the week, throughout the days, a part of your ongoing life with Jesus as you listen to him, the word of God over us and the spirit of God within us and the body of Christ around us generates growth so that we get mended. We get equipped to do what God calls us to do. Now, how long does this process go on? Verse 13 tells us, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's the goal. So until, until then, that's it. Until that, gets, until that happens. And until we're perfect. <laughs> there are three parts of this goal. The unity, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. The one thing Jesus prayed for the night before he went to the cross was that we would be one. Paul has already talked about teaching, so the unity he has in mind is based on biblical truth and doctrinal integrity. Does your immersion in God's word result in greater unity? It should. James challenges us, by the way, don't be merely hearers of the word, but what? Doers of the word. So the unity of the faith, the knowledge of Christ. And this is not actually salvation knowledge where you believe in Jesus. This is the growing deeper knowledge of your experience as you walk with him and apply biblical truth. And, and it's the walking of a lifelong process. In terms of Greek words, it's not gnosis or knowledge. It's epinosis. It's deep knowledge. It's what Paul's life goal was in Philippians 3, that I may know him. The knowledge of Christ. And the third component is is maturity. To a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So how long does that take? Until Jesus comes. Verses 14 through 16 give the result. Verse 14, as a result, 
We're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, notice every joint supplies each individual part. The body builds up itself. What could be clearer? What could be clearer? Now, if you unpack these three verses, in verse 14, the results stated negatively. We're to grow out of spiritual diapers. We're to grow past spiritual infancy. We're supposed to stop behaving like babies. Develop maturity. Or as the book of Hebrews describes this, move from spiritual milk to meat. I've often asked you the question, and you'll hear it again. How long have you been a Christian? Have you been a Christian 10 years? Or you have, have you been a Christian one year 10 times? Are you growing? By the way, God loves it when we take baby steps. Because baby steps are baby steps. It's part of the walk. It's part of the maturity. We're all going to be looking in the mirror and say, Oh, Lord, I sure haven't progressed much in this area or in that area. That's okay. You just keep going. Keep taking the steps. And with the Word of God over us, the Spirit of God within us, and the body of Christ around us, we'll move forward together as God's trophy case so that we can show the world what broken but mended people look like. Because that's what Jesus wants to do. He rescues the world. Oh, verse 15 says, Speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. This refers to living out truth. The way that you grow spiritually is put the truth that we've learned from God's word into practice in our lives. As we've just said, that's how we grow. It's easy to tear down a building. Um, the towers in New York, was it an hour and a half from the time that the planes hit before they were both down? Easy to tear down. Some of you remember uh, Betsy and I for a, a lot of years, I was bivocational. I was here, but also teaching uh, at a college in Dayton. And um, we lived in Dayton. And some of you remember my house in Dayton. My house in Dayton was built in 1880. It was a farmhouse, 40 feet away from the railroad tracks. And uh, that farmhouse was... Um, um, built entirely of wood. Okay. And Betsy and I were driving up there a few years ago, two, three years ago, I guess, and it was no longer there. It's gone. Fire. Just like that. Because it was, it was a tinderbox. It really was. <laughs> so 
It doesn't take long for a building to be destroyed. What does take a long time is to do the building, to engage in the process of building things up. That's what God has called us to do, to build up the body of Christ. It takes patience, it takes planning, it takes care, it takes commitment to work together. That's why when people are disengaged from the body, I don't understand it. I, I really don't. I mean, why are you coming here? <laughs> We're disengaged. What's the point? What has God called us to do? When we're disengaged from that which Jesus loves. Gary, you're being legalistic. I'm just taking a break from involvement right now. Try that with your wife. Sweetheart, I'm just going to take a break from involvement in your life for a while. You don't mind, do you? <laughs> See how that works. Now, we build up one another. How? In love. The early church had no halo over it, right? The early church had plenty of problems. In fact, some of you are so committed that you're beginning to pray for me right now. I appreciate that. So let's have a little bit of interaction. I want you to respond to me. What were some of the problems that we see and I'm not talking about the church in the world. There were plenty of problems between the church and the world. What were some of the internal problems that we see in the New Testament in the church? With? Okay, excellent. False teachers, legalists. And those were things that they had to watch. So definitely within the church, you have to be careful about false teaching. What are, what are some of the relationship issues within the church? Pardon? Selfishness in the church? Do we see that in the, in the New Testament so anywhere? Okay. What's, do you remember in Acts chapter 6 that there was a little, little problem about the offering with the deacons? Yes, Betsy? Oh, I'm sorry. Grumbling. Okay. Grumbling within the church. That's, that's warned against several times. I, I was just thinking, I'm going to point to the prettiest girl. Sorry, I didn't have your... So, grumbling within the church. Uh, what, what, what are some of the other problems? Pardon? Competition for leadership. I mean, you look at Philippians 1, and the things that were going on between Paul and those who were in church leaders in Rome, it's just not really pretty. Somebody over here? Pardon? Division. If you look at 1 Corinthians, look at the factions within the church. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Peter, and then the I am of Christ group. Pardon? You're with BJ. Well, that's two. Okay, what are any other problems in the church? Pardon? Immorality, a sexual problem within the church. Yeah. And lack of accountability on that. Right? Read, read in 1 Corinthians. Yes. Sorry. Cultural and pagan involvement. 
Yes, absolutely. So that you that there was a real tension uh, within the church about how to, how do you engage with the, the, these things that were from your past that were offered to idols or you know the, you've got the cultural um, you, you've got the cultural um, uh, train wreck also uh, w- when you read Galatians and the, and the ways in which people were bringing grace and law together and and you've got uh, the cultural problems. Uh, in Colossians as well. So you, you've got all kinds of things. All right, I, I think we've got a kind of an idea that the early church did not have a halo over it. It was filled with problems. There, were, there, were, there was, by the way, a power struggle between a couple of ladies at Philippi. Uh, there were church discipline issues all over the place. And this comes back to the description that we mentioned to you a number of times. The church is a messy grace. And it's who we are. But you know what? We belong to Jesus. And we belong to each other. And the basis of our communion is not our attraction to each other as perfect. The basis of our communion is Jesus Christ's death on the cross for our sins. Besides, a relationship based on attraction alone uh, is pretty unstable. Like a marriage, there has to be commitment. And so we make choices to work through our messiness together. Some of you will, rem- will remember this story uh, because I- I've told it before. Um, it's one of the best pictures of this, though, that I've ever seen. Years ago, Betsy and I went to see a drama co- uh, competition put on in what is now what was formerly Chattanooga High School. And um, Zach Best was the drama teacher at Farragut High School in Knoxville. And Zach's wife, Kelly, I I did their wedding. Uh, And Kelly had been in a horrible car wreck. And she was still in recovery in the hospital with a brain injury. And uh, Betsy and I wanted to be supportive of Zach, and we knew that there'd be nobody there for him. So uh, we went to the uh, competition just to support Zach, just to be there. And when we got there and we visited with Zach, he told us how the competition worked, how it was graded, and I didn't know any of this. But each school in this state drama competition that was held here in Chattanooga, each school brought their own stage setting, kind of a stage on a stage. And uh, uh, part of the scoring included the efficiency with which they pulled out the stage setting put it together, and then began their one-act play. Uh, They were timed on this. Points were deducted for inefficiency. And so it was a two-day process of all these one-act plays of all these schools in in, uh, this competition. So uh, when when the clock began for for Zach's kids, uh, for his drama team, they pulled out their platform. It was about three feet high, about 15 feet wide, and about 30 feet long. They pulled it out. It had two sets of steps, each with four steps leading up to the platform. It's actually about maybe a foot higher than what I am on this right now. So, uh, uh, the, and, and then the one-act play began. And it was flawless. It was perfect. <laughs> there were certain things that Zach noticed that we didn't notice. Like, he, he would say, you know, where's Jim? And why is Tom standing there? Things like that. And... Uh, so, but we thought it was great, and so did the judges, because uh, 
They swept the competition in every category. They won. Here's what we didn't know. Here's what the judges didn't know. And here's what Zach didn't know until the play was over. When they were setting up, the strut under the right side of the platform collapsed. And it wouldn't hold the players. So three boys got under the stage on their backs, flat on their backs, with their feet, held it up while the others were on top performing that which they had practiced. And then they would trade out, and the second group was holding up the first while they performed. And that's the body of Christ. Some people are more visible, but what they do wouldn't be possible if there weren't people holding them up. Behind the scenes, praying for them, encouraging them, enabling them to do what they're gifted to do and doing with their own gifts that which contributes to the growth of the body of Christ. I would say fulfilling the one another's, which requires preparation, patience, dependability, faithfulness, and commitment. Why did those students hold up their teammates? Because they were committed to the same goal. And therefore, they were committed to each other. Is God challenging you today about your commitment to love the body of Christ? Is he challenging you about complacency regarding the body of Christ? Is he ripping away your excuses? Well, listen to this. As a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in, uh, in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him, even Christ, who is the head, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. And Father, I pray that you would help us to love you well as we love one another well and show that love to a watching world that remarks, see how they love one another. And Lord, I pray that that love will be contagious as people would be drawn into the saving arms of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.